Audiologist, a Phonak podcast. Welcome to The Audiologist, a podcast series created by Phonak to offer audiologists and people interested in audiology new perspectives on hearing health topics. This series of podcasts is all about adults with severe to profound hearing loss. At the microphone is audiologist Bernadette Fulton. I'm audiology manager for severe to profound hearing loss at Phonak International Headquarters in Switzerland. With me today is Laura Turton, a clinical audiologist who's the deputy head of department at the NHS in Tayside, Scotland. She specialises in severe and profound hearing loss and was the editor of the Guidelines for Best Practice. She's here to tell us about how she approached the task. But first, Laura, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, So I've worked as an audiologist for 20 years. And when I was about eight years in, I decided I was going to do a master's, which in the UK um, isn't a requirement to be able to practice. Um, And as part of my dissertation, I was working with somebody and they just suggested that my uh, dissertation was on severe to profound hearing loss because there wasn't very much research out there about it. Um, And that was really my introduction to it. Um, After having then completed my master's, I then set up um, a clinic specifically for severe to profound hearing loss um, because that linked in with my master's, but also that seemed to just start um, to be an initiative that was happening in the NHS in the UK at that time. Um, And then uh, outside of my clinical experience, and I will have set up three severe to profound uh, clinics um, over my career, is um, that I... um, also left for a period of time and worked for a charity that dealt specifically with people who had a sudden uh, severe to profound hearing loss um, that was acquired typically uh, from a virus or from a head injury or something like that and the rehabilitation uh, that they required for the fact that this was often a very quick experience. So um, I've seen it from a few different angles and it's just a population that's really interested me and, uh, and it's become really apparent that doesn't necessarily interest as many uh, either clinicians or researchers, um, which has made it even more interesting to kind of be able to be involved in things. Um, Just a follow-up question on that. You talked about setting up a specialised clinic for severe and profound hearing loss. Were you creating a model that's been duplicated in the NHS in the UK? Um. Potentially, I would say that one of the co-authors, Judith Bird, probably pioneered it a little bit quicker than I did. Uh, And so then I went to go and visit Judith and said, uh, can I observe some of your clinics? Um, And it became apparent that some of the things we'd brought in, they'd already got in place. So that was very comforting to know that what we'd prioritised, another clinic had already prioritised. And I know she was getting a lot of requests for people and so uh, to go and observe her clinic. And so she um, started sending them to us as well. Um, And again, that kind of affirmed for me that we were doing uh, quite a good job, um, that somebody else was happy to direct um, other people who wanted to shadow to the clinic that we were involved in. Did you know that guidelines for mild to moderate hearing loss often fall short when treating severe and profound hearing loss? Has that been your experience in the past, Laura? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. There seems to be a lot of guidance out there around um, generic hearing loss. But when you look at it, it just doesn't fit um, people with severe to profound hearing loss um, because of their needs, because of the fact that they're quite unique in what they're um, hoping to achieve. And uh, and so, that yeah, any kind of guidance that's already out there just doesn't seem to do enough for us. Um. Were you surprised when you looked at the evidence, were you surprised at the paucity of the research and the evidence in that area? And why do you think it's like that? So I'm not a researcher, and uh, but when I've had conversations with researchers, they have said there do seem to be these little pockets of uh, things that just don't seem to get touched quite so much. Um, my interpretation as a clinician is that... Um, the exciting bit of severe to profound hearing loss for research seems to be cochlear implantation because there's such a difference between um, pre-implantation and post-implantation. So there seems to be an awful lot that's gone around there and that's where research is focused. Outside of that, though, very little has been looked at. Um, and I, I was aware of that because some of the other um, projects that I've worked on and things that um, I've looked at, but I hadn't realised it was quite to the level it was, particularly around um, hearing aid research and the fact that really uh, anything that was relevant, um, specific, patients with severe to profound hearing loss was um, analogue technology a lot of the time. And we were going back years and years and years. So that was definitely surprising that the difference between mild to moderate hearing loss and the research that's been done for severe to profound hearing loss. Yeah, I, I think one of the important things that I noticed was that the majority of adults with severe to profound hearing loss, in fact, the vast majority rely on hearing aids and don't actually go on to have cochlear implants. Yeah, so the fact that it's um, uh, approximately 6% of adults um, go through for a cochlear implant assessment, but it's 95% of uh, children up to the age of 17 uh, go through. Yeah, there's a, a big difference. Um, and that really is why I got involved in this population because I don't fit cochlear implants. I'm not part of a hospital that has a cochlear implant centre. And it seemed that this population was getting a really raw deal with the treatment and the assessment and their whole pathway, really. And it, it seemed to be, well, if you don't want to go for a cochlear implant, um, then here's a pair of high powered hearing aids, off you go. And actually, there, there needs to be a much broader view of that. Do you think the guidelines will make a difference for those people wearing hearing aids? I really, really hope so. Um, I hope that there um, is an awareness of the guidelines um, for people so that actually they're able to use them because I think that you know, we've created something that's uh, quite easy to follow, uh, that the recommendations are often quite simple. Um, most of them are going to be able to be put into practice without too much of a change of service. So I think it's more... Uh, does uh, your audiology practice know that they exist? And as long as they know it exists, I really hope that um, they're then looked at and used because I think that only very small changes will have such a big impact for this population. Um, following the publication of the guidelines, what changes would you like to see in audiological management? And for example, have you implemented any changes in the clinic where you work? So... Um, I'd like to see that um, 
there is bespoke care for someone with severe to profound hearing loss, that it is person-centred um, and that alongside that, uh, some of the other recommendations that are made in the publication, for example, recognising that you're probably going to need to invest a little bit more time, um, but that investment of time is well worth it because it potentially stops people coming back um, on regular repeat um, follow-up visits because they're um, unsatisfied with um, the treatment outcomes that they're getting. Um, I Whether that is in a specialist clinic for places or whether that is just that the audiologist has the ability to go, okay, my next patient has severe to profound hearing loss, therefore this is the type of appointment that I need to deliver. I don't think that matters, um, but I think it is important that if you have a severe to profound hearing loss, that you can have an expectation that you will be um, thoroughly assessed uh, in a person-centred way where you can help shape your care in collaboration with your professional and uh, choose the treatment options that are relevant to you and therefore that you have realistic expectations set um, and that you're supported in a number of ways that's more than just high-powered hearing aids. In my clinic, um, we uh, used the guidelines as an audit and just said, um, are we achieving all these recommendations? Um, and I think there was there's 153 recommendations and we weren't achieving six. Uh, so we went wow. back and we had a look at those six. <laughs> yeah. um, and things like one of the recommendations um, uh, around remote microphones is the ability to trial them in clinic. Um, and we didn't have that as an option. So we're currently purchasing some so that um, we can trial them both within the clinic and also then um, on loan for patients so that they can try them in their real life situations as well. When we were um, discussing how things had changed in your clinic in a previous occasion, I think you said something about tablets. Yeah, so we've done a lot around deaf awareness recently, mainly because of uh, some social media uh, posts from uh, deaf advocates who've just said since face coverings have come in, it's highlighted the challenges, uh, particularly in audiology departments. So we've looked at a number of different things, like if you are going to get your patient from reception and they have a severe to profound hearing loss, we now have vibrating pages, a bit like you get in restaurants. Um, so uh, when uh, we come and get you, we press um, the doorbell part, they have a vibrating pager and they're aware that we're calling them at the same time. Uh, and uh, we have uh, tablets in the rooms with us for live captioning, um, as well as clear face masks and things like that. So we tried to build in like a toolkit of things um, to make communication as accessible as possible. Um, so just to recap what we've discussed, the messages from today, is clients who have severe to profound hearing loss will just not get the benefits they need from the routine care we provide for people with mild to moderate hearing loss. They really need a bespoke solution. And the guidelines do point to new research that's needed to establish effective evidence-based practice for the vast majority of adults with severe to profound hearing loss who continue to use hearing aids. And the guidelines are really an important step towards best practice and anyone who's interested can get their own copy. Laura, do you have a closing message or anything to add to to what I've just summarised? 
Um, I think that for some people, because they don't see patients with severe to profound hearing loss on a, a regular basis, it can seem quite a daunting prospect in knowing what to do for them uh, from the technology side and uh, from signposting them to all relevant um, interventions that can also support them. And I would just say that, you know, those guidelines are a really nice first step in kind of understanding this population a little bit more. And one of our hopes was that it reduces that anxiety and that fearfulness of seeing this population because they're 7% of the clinical population. So actually, it's it's quite a lot of patients when you think about it in uh, percentage terms and how many patients you might see in your practice throughout the year. And it would be really good to just be able to see better outcomes with these patients um, where they're achieving a better quality of life. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for joining us today and thank you especially for your work in making the guidelines for best practice a reality. If you would like to learn more or obtain a copy of the best practice guidelines, they can be downloaded from the Phonak Pro website, which is www.phonakpro.com and then look for severe to profound hearing loss. Goodbye, everyone. Audiologist, a Phonak podcast. <laughs>